Oh God, guys, I'm not ready for, I made a bourbon. I'm oh. just not ready for this. Um, well, I don't care. I feel like Michael looks so holiday right now with his tree. You have a beanie on. You're you in, kind of look like in, a garden. You sort of look like a garden right? gnome. You're in like Venice, a holiday, right? is it, a holiday is it, garden gnome. Is it, it's freezing there, right? It's like it's below 50. It's so freaking cold, it's so cold in Venice. It's like 50 degrees. It's so cold. I might actually have to get a puffy jacket. Um, oh, that would really I don't, complete the look. Michael, you do you not out. have ornaments on your tree? Correct. Oh, Correct. my God. I don't, I like a clean tree. Never, never want to marry you. This tree that, well, apparently neither do the people who were partying at my apartment this weekend because they decided to dance and fall into the tree wow, and knock nice. it over completely. They don't Water sound like marriage everywhere. material anyway. No, no. Like American bookshelf. Uh, that was intact. What was would not have been intact were I to have ornaments on the tree. Yeah, but like, so, yeah, the ornaments are the best part. I'm just so no, jealous. I have the I ornaments promise. are what give it personality. Currently, your tree looks As. like a weird part of a display <laughs> at like a department store that's trying to be very like minimalist and contemporary. I feel like this is pretty on brand. You are going to vote tomorrow in the election. Welcome to Political Playlist Happy Hour. I'm Michael Kristoff. I'm Anna Muskie Goldwyn. I'm Anthony Barquette. And Yay! that was maybe the best group in introduction we've ever done. Uh, congratulations to us. And congratulations to you for almost making it to the end of 2021. I feel like that's a pretty big deal, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> it right. doesn't feel like the holidays to me. I don't know no. why. I kind of feel that way too. Why is that? I think it's because it felt like it was just the holidays. In my yeah. mind, like, like the holidays of 2020 felt like yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so, so it feels like we haven't, I feel like I haven't gone far enough I, for I it to be another holiday season. I, I feel like driving through neighborhoods, I've seen more decorations, which yeah, is Yeah, there's great. a lot in my neighborhood. Like people are, you know, picking up from last year, but... It just doesn't feel like Christmas to me. And it's Anthony, my favorite time of the Anthony year. Anthony feels no. like the Grinch. I what? feel like I have not been to that many holiday parties this December. Yes, and I feel like I'm usually sort of inundated, you know, for better or worse with like, oh, so-and-so is having a holiday dinner get together. Honestly, like, I think it's because yeah. people forgot to plan. <laughs> yeah. Like I was trying yeah. to plan something and I was like, this is so stressful. Like I, I don't yeah. remember the steps of inviting people to something. I tried to make a paperless post and I gave up. Because <laughs> it was, it was, it was I was hard. like, this shouldn't be this hard and I'm doing something wrong and I don't care enough. And so on that note, what are y'all drinking and how are we feeling this week, gang? I feel pretty classy right now because I'm drinking a bourbon mm -hmm. out of a wine glass. Mm. Wow. It's because the other glasses here were too small. This so. sounds like a, this sounds like a only thing I could find in a hotel scenario. Yeah. Yeah. yeah basically. Yeah. And yeah. um, yeah. So feeling pretty I'm positive. drinking uh, actually like a holiday drink that 
had previously previously been made for something else. Whoa. Can you see it? What is this? Yeah. Playlister. Let me just give you a little rundown here. This is like a, a a deep blood red kind of a cocktail. It's in an old fashioned glass. I'm going to say it's vodka. Oh God. I don't know. I I feel like I know exactly what it is. Mm. It's like a punch type thing. It's some kind of a punch. Okay. I'm just going to tell you. It's Shirley Temple. It's Reposado tequila. Oh, curveball, right? Um, Pomegranate juice. Mm -hmm. That's the red. Uh, Lime juice. Mm -hmm. And then a ginger honey syrup. Wow. Whoa. Did you make the syrup yourself? Yeah. Like I made it for like a few people the other day and had some of the ingredients left over in the syrup in like a jar. And so I thought I would impress you guys. Uh, playlisters, we obviously, uh, there's no shortage of news coming out of the old district of Columbia, this final stretch of the holiday year. We actually want to start to drill in a new word for all of you playlisters, which is postpartisanship. Now, we recently did an interview with Layla Zaydane, who is the CEO of MAP. Uh, hopefully, at this point, you've listened to that episode. It's really great. MAP is a nonprofit that works with the youngest members of Congress to come together on legislation that is bipartisan. But they like to use this term postpartisan. So what the hell is postpartisan? Well, it's actually not a totally new term. It dates back to the 70s, but we and them are trying to make it hip. And basically what it is, is it stresses the idea of innovation over compromise, which obviously we, I feel like we look at compromise right now as a dirty word. But the idea is that we move beyond these party ideological divides to find innovative solutions to problems. So this leads into our big question this week. Okay, here it is. This holiday season for you, we're talking to you and to your family. Are you ready? Can you change your habits, your demands, the tenor of your political conversations in order to promote a more postpartisanship world? What do we think, guys? I think we should all strive to. I think and I see Anthony over there, like <laughs> ready to pounce and be like, none of this is possible. But I'm just going to. Let me put it this way. Sure. <laughs> I feel like what gets conflated is that we all feel so beholden to a side. And I think that what we're seeing shift in our country is that people are starting to wake up and realize that when you are beholden to a side, the sides become more deeper ingrained in their polarities. And we all, a lot of most of us are starting to understand that those polarities are not helpful, (laughs) are not helpful to a functional government, wherever you fall on the spectrum. And so I would say that for my answer to the big question, it is, I want to try. Cause I think that we all have a tendency to slip into that ideology because that's basically what we've been groomed. That's how we've been groomed to have political conversations for like the last decade. And I think that what we can help people with 
is focusing on issues and focusing on specific things that we care about. And that was something that Layla said in our conversation. She said, we want politicians to define themselves by the issues that they fight for and not by the sort of party ideology that they supposedly belong to. And I think if we as citizens can reframe our thinking in a similar way, we can have a more post-partisan conversation. Yeah, no, I mean, I would agree with you, Anna. I think one reason why I love political playlists so much is it's opened my eyes to politicians that I'd never would have ever known about. And, you know, I think, you know, between us three, Michael and I are good listeners, but uh, kidding. Um, we should uh, interrupt by saying this podcast is brought to you by political playlists. They're advertising for ourselves. Bye. <laughs> and now um, back to no, our show. I, I think all of us are good listeners and we're open to hearing, we're open to dialogue. And I think all of us and a lot of people who use our platform have said one thing they love is being introduced to some of these people on the other side, mm -hmm. right? That they end up liking and would never know about from the other news that they are following. And right. I think that's a really important point when we're living in this world today where people are sick of the media that they're continuing to watch. And I'm starting to see that a lot in our parents' generation um, yeah. where I think a constant thing, I always joke, you could go to a, a bar and sit there and be like, oh, the media, am I right? And you could get everyone to talk about it. <laughs> and I was just on a tour in the Midwest and um, touring some properties in, on the industrial side. And I was talking to a lot of the workers there. All of them talks about the media. It, it wasn't more of a political thing. It was more of they don't trust what is being shown and what was most interesting was they said that they're looking at international media sources now for their news. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's like that idea of people don't seem to want to learn when they're watching the news. They only want to feel. They and I'll give you a great example. Yeah, and entertained. And I'll give you a great example. I was recently at an event and I was talking with somebody who had who who has completely different political ideology than me personally completely different uh job uh and just sort of career background and was basically telling me all of the things that he feels are wrong with the infrastructure bill and how that is going to crush his business. And I kept saying, well, you know, this big infrastructure spending, isn't that going to be great for jobs, businesses, et cetera. And he was walking through all of the reasons that he feels it isn't. And mm. I, I can't necessarily say that I agreed with the, the overall. Anything you know, stand thesis. out? Well, he was basically making the argument that the problem with these big government bills as it relates to small business is that you can't compete with government money mm -hmm. so that the government money is always going to yes. bid out. It's cheaper, you know, and it's it, cheaper for financing everything. Right, exactly. So that was sort of, and, and he's in the kind of real estate um, mm -hmm. development projects kind of space. And I thought it was so interesting to, you know, hear that perspective of, wow, I was always under the impression that 
infrastructure is really good. And here's, you know, he's giving me some data as to why maybe it isn't for everybody. And I think, I think that like what I took away from that, you know, basically we had this 20 minute conversation and then it was like, okay, cool. So should we, you know, go get another beer Mm -hmm. at the bar or, or, you know, wherever. And it was like, okay, the takeaway, the takeaway, yeah. The takeaway (laughs) was like, Hey, we, you know, we don't necessarily agree on this or, or maybe we're starting to find common ground, but I was listening, I was learning. And I feel like that's the whole idea of postpartisanship is that you begin to listen and you begin to learn. And through that education, you then arrive at those innovative ways to approach issues rather than. I was going to say to your story, I feel like that's the moment that we should all be striving for, right? Like when you ask this big question of, can we, you know, have a different conversation? Can we frame things a different way? I feel like that is the moment that I know all three of us have had with people that I hope listeners and everyone that they know can strive to have with people. Because I think that that, is exactly what the point of postpartisanship is. Like you yeah. didn't walk away from that conversation with a different point of view and neither right. did he, but you were able to have a little bit of empathy for why he felt that way. And hopefully he was able to have a little bit of empathy for why you felt that way. And I think that in our world, it's become this binary thing where it's like, either you have to agree or you have to compromise. And I think that disagreement is fine and we will continue to disagree with each other. But if we can't talk about the disagreements, then we're never going to come to agreement on anything else. And we're never going to innovate beyond those disagreements. And we're just going to be in this weird stalemate. And so I guess like that's a really great example of, of a story that I hope people can latch onto and just say like, who's the person in my life? that I can go, you know, you don't have to talk about something really inflammatory, but like right. infrastructure is a pretty like chill topic, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think it's important to point out here from our platform, you know, we're talking about post-partisanship, but we decided to be nonpartisan because we wanted to talk about everyone. Mm-hmm. And right. bipartisan is very different. It's people coming together, working, you know, nonpartisan is not, you know, like, I would say like that, but what we've generally seen is a lot of these young politicians working together. Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier to you guys off this, that one of our politicians on the Republican side, Byron Donald from Florida, you know, openly says, this is my fourth bipartisan bill. And, and I, I, I was like, what? Yeah. Is that something to be proud of? Yeah. If anything, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't be touting that. Yeah. Um, that's not a stat I would be touting, but I think it's important that people who are listening realize we decided to be nonpartisan to focus on all the candidates, regardless of who they are. Granted, some of them are crazy, but mm-hmm. you should know who the crazies are. You should know who right. the regular people well, are. You should know who the middle I people also, are. I also, I just wanted to go back to something that, um, you were saying before about us being good listeners. And <laughs> I just want to say like, I no, yeah. but truly, so I good. don't think that I was a very good listener in this like space before. 
I think that I wait. Cared are a lot. you hold on, Anna? Are we Admitting. are we on candid camera here? Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> oh, this is crazy. Yeah. This is is this Festivus? Are we airing our grievances? What what's happening here? I'm confused. No, I have a point. I have a this point. is our Christmas gift. What's the uh-huh. what's the legally bond? Yeah, what's the legally yeah. bond line? I have a point. I promise. Oh. Um. No, but but I just wanted so to say- So you weren't like, a very good listener. No, I just feel like I would consider myself in that camp of people who got very heated and emotional about mm-hmm. political mm-hmm. issues. And now that I have learned so much from working on political playlist, A, I see that a lot of the issues that I thought I cared about, I wasn't very educated on. And I was kind of speaking mm-hmm. from this like ideological perspective. And B- I think that I I was not ever able to feel as empathetic because I wasn't educated about what I actually believed. So I think that if you have information and education that informs your values and your views, it's so much easier to listen to someone who you disagree with because you don't feel like they're attacking you or you don't feel like they're coming from a place of hate or aggression or whatever, which I think is what we've all kind of been bred to feel recently. And so I just, I just wanted to put that out there because I, I think that's something relatable where, you know, a lot of us, whatever your beliefs are, it's way easier to just kind of dig your heels in and resist the conversation and think, you know, what you believe, but I'm just here to say that like, once you, are educated about those things. And once you've solidified what those things you believe actually are, now I feel like I could talk to anybody and I feel like I could learn from somebody. And I feel like I learn from the politicians anybody. every week. <laughs> Anna, yeah. what were your, what were your major, I- what were your major bugaboos? Was it, was it defense spending <laughs> previously? I don't know that I was in the weeds on that. <laughs> no. Okay. It was Yeah, that was really was, what got me going. It was bridges and roads, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I knew it. It was actually it was actually cars. like it was actually it was actually just, you know, the an economics of the deficit and yeah. the debt ceiling. I just the, that the really love the love that you have for the Tab and Z bridge, I, I is honestly, I think very New York reference, Michael. Yeah. 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 Um oh, well thanks for making a joke out of my Amazing. No, that was like a really nice, that was actually, but that's so true, right? I mean, I think we, I have found myself doing that too, is like the, the, it's so easy to get into an inflammatory heated, you know, debate, which by the way, I think is, is, is sometimes okay. And sometimes good. And yeah, sometimes um, it's a little relief, right? Yeah. You want to get, Hey, listening is, I, I always joke. Listening is a lot. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And if, and with good listeners, sometimes you want to sit there and go, you're crazy. You right. Did. <laughs> but also right. don't you think that like, even if you are having a heated inflammatory discussion, if you kind of know what you're talking about, it doesn't feel, at least for me, it doesn't feel like I'm like on fire and need to win or something like right. that. It's more right. just like, I'm saying what I believe you're saying what you're believe you believe maybe it's getting kind of heated, but I know deep down that I have my values and my convictions and my, the information to guard that. And by the way, if the person I'm arguing with exposes something that I had thought was true, that was not or whatever, then 
I feel like I can take more responsibility for it because I There's am armed with that, that information. That's confidence though, I, yeah. I would say. And, and you definitely have that. I will give you that. That's your Christmas gift. I will give you that. I will give yeah. you that. Uh, you too. can't. Yeah, this isn't a joint Christmas gift. No, 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 no. Okay. This is from both of us. Uh, this okay. is. Right. Right. Dude, read I the tag. Am, this is from both honestly, of us. I'm a little heartfelt this Christmas. So I'm. I'm okay. I mean, I, I to this point though, I I something came to mind about two of our politicians that I just wanted to bring up because I think that it's important to see this in action, and I thought there were some good examples this week of what post-partisanship looks like on a very specific scale. So one of the best pairings that I came across this week was between <laughs> Kat Kamak and Chris Pappas. And so for those of you who don't know, if they're not on your playlist, Kat Kamak is like a, a sort of <sighs> one of more, my faves. I love her. <laughs> Anthony Honestly, has a big crush I can't on Kat. wait to drink with Kat. Um, but no, she's definitely more far right. She's from Hopefully Florida. She oh, um, she drinks. She's okay, a freshman Republican, uh, the youngest Republican woman in office and in Congress. And she's kind of in that like Trumpy camp a little bit. Then she's teaming up with Chris Pappas, who is one of the one of the only openly gay members of Congress. He's from New Hampshire. He's like, has very like New England vibes. Lindsey and- Graham, if you're listening. <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. Go on, please. I was good. Um, but but Lady G. They, they teamed up on this bill that I thought was so interesting and relevant that there's been all this talk about China and we're talking about the Olympics and Kat and Chris introduced this bill. Also, Kat and Chris kind of sounds like a sitcom. And yeah. they introduced this bill that is looking to establish a border patrol or sorry, a, a customs and border protection uh like outpost in Taiwan so that travel between Taiwan and the U S can be more seamless, which, which I feel like is like a pretty big fuck you to China of like, we're going to try to have this like really seamless visa list travel between the U S and Taiwan. And I thought that that was such a good example of postpartisanship. It's like, this is a very topical issue that there's some disagreement between parties, but a lot of agreement on the fact that we need to be tougher on China. And they picked something really specific and they came together on it. And it was in, and it's an innovative idea. It's something new. It's not like rehashing old things. And I think that's exactly what that world looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how easy it'll be. We'll see, but Um, Well, you've given great examples of unity, but I want to sort of segue to our riff and I want to title this riff with a question, which is unity from disunity. And what I mean by that. All right. Twister. Yeah. Okay. So are our respective parties finding unity among the disunity within the party or is that disunity causing even more disunity oh my god okay let all of that I sink in i know no, no, i see what i see where you're going you see what i'm Actually, doing really right like because i i totally uh, agree this is yeah and i i always joke that you know any of us who have sat on any sort of like school board or an organization yep. you know there's always those people on the fringes who say ridiculous things and they're not right. really additive to it. And you're sitting there going, God, now we got to figure out how to bring in 
you know, Billy Bob here. But I don't know why I use that name. I'm terrible with names. Huh? But um, clearly, yeah, clearly, there's a Billy Bob on every nonprofit. There's a Billy board. Bob on it every sure is. <laughs> um, No, but I, I think you know, in the Democratic Party, we're seeing that with Stephanie Murphy here, right? Who's speaking out against the far left. We're seeing that with Dan, Cren- Dan Crenshaw, who's speaking out against the far right. Um, and all of this is what the media picks up on and is mm-hmm. really clouding real things that need to get done. Okay, well, number one to give you a lead is in? I didn't totally understand your question. Oh, but my because she went to UCLA. <gasps> oh, oh, shots fired. No, I know. Well, what I meant, what I meant was, is the is the disunity is the disunity that is happening within each party, and there yeah. is a lot of it right yeah. now. Is that going to cause the party to unify or further disunify as it relates to the other party? Right. So, what I think is, so I have a very specific example that I don't yeah. know. I don't know if this will answer your question, but oh boy! So, Nakima Williams is a freshman representative from Georgia, a Democrat. She is also the chair of the Georgia Democratic Party, and Georgia just the Georgia State Legislature just established its own Georgia State Freedom Caucus, which is the very mm-hmm. right caucus in the House mm-hmm. that was established sort of in response to Obama. Um, and what the Georgia state freedom caucus is doing is they're kind of trying to create a template for other, um, states to follow suit and have their own state legislature house freedom caucus. So Nakima said, while the GOP spends the next year engaged in a nasty divisive internal battle, Democrats are united and laser focused on delivering on the issues that actually affect the lives of everyday Georgians. I thought this was a very interesting quote because a, I was like, are you living in the same democratic party that the rest of us are seeing? <laughs> but B, I think that to your point, Michael, the more that each of these parties begins to find these fractures, mm-hmm. it gives a narrative to the other side that is beneficial but then it inevitably happens on that side and it goes back to the other side. So it's kind of this weird moment. And and actually I think it's very good because back to our conversation about post-partisanship, I think that the more people realize that there is a spectrum and that you do not belong to a monolith of the democratic party party or a monolith or Republican party, or for that matter, that you're just like an independent you know, that you are an individual who is made up of a variety of values and views and that you fall somewhere on that spectrum. And I think that what we're seeing, at least for me in the first time in our lifetime, or at least our adult lifetime, is that the parties are starting to like show that. Well, I was saying like, I, it's like, I don't want to live in a Stepford Wives community type thing where every, it's like being in a company where everyone's a yes person to the, you know, to the boss and no one's actually, everyone's too afraid to speak their mind. Yeah. Right. Right. But I do feel like the far left and the far right here are really hindering easy solutions to some of our problems. And that's where I have the big issue um, with a lot of this. And, you know, you're, you're seeing this on all, all types of levels. 
where you go, what are the battles we really need to fight on? Right. Right. And let's just get some of these easy things done, but you're going to hold up this sidewalk because I can't give you healthcare in X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I think though it depends on who you talk to because I feel like the argument for the far left or the far right is that if we continue to, as some might say, compromise and find those easy solutions, then we give up what we gained power for, which was to write an agenda that matches our more extreme views potentially. Well, one of the, one of the things that I think is, is interesting, right? We, we, you've talked about the, you know, far ends of either party and how their vocal dominance can sometimes sway the perception of where a, a given party is is landing, ideologically speaking. And I think what is what was something we saw this week from our guy, Dan Crenshaw, who I know we talk about a lot, but he's sort of, you know, just like, a, a, he's like a Domino's pizza. Y you can't resist a slice, you know? Mm -hmm. oh, um, that's a good. <laughs> I feel like he would like yeah. that. He'd like that comparison. Somebody, yeah. shows, somebody shows up with Domino's, like you bet your ass you're having a slice, probably yeah. too. Yeah. But he was Hawaiian. just yeah. not, and it's not, pineapple's not a topping. I'll, yeah. I'll go to bat. I'll go to bat on this. Uh, he was speaking at the Texas Liberty Alliance PAC. And um, basically, he kind of called out the Freedom Caucus. And Anna, you uh, uh, brought up the Freedom Caucus, Caucus earlier. He was calling, uh, he, he made a comment, rather, saying that um, a number of them are really just grifters and they're performance artists. And he was talking about, he, he kind of later clarified this, but he was talking about some specific uh, Texas uh, Congress people who uh, are members of this Freedom Caucus. But he, he went further. He called out people and he even defended Adam Kinzinger, who obviously is on our platform and who has become very noteworthy in his just defiance against Trump and against a lot of Trump's actions of late. And what Dan Crenshaw was saying was how, in an interest of proving his point, he said, you know, when you look at the voting record, Adam Kinzinger voted much more along the lines and in line with Trump than many of these Freedom Caucus uh, members did. And his point was saying that, you know, this this far what he views as a far right faction, a departure from your traditional conservatism is actually just a very loud drum that is using the the emotion of the moment to galvanize without any substance behind it. Hmm. And I think that's interesting because I feel like when we look at the far right and the far left, the biggest difference I see, and again, this has nothing to do with ideology. This is just objectively, here are the numbers, right? You know, the Democrats on the left obviously battled internally for this big infrastructure bill, and they're about to do it again with the Build Back Better. And while the progressives have been a very big thorn in the side of moderate compromise, I feel like they have, to their credit, come down. They started at like six trillion, and they came down to three trillion, and then they're like down to like two something, you know? And so they have like, 
come down closer to the center. Whereas I don't see that same kind of give and take from the far right. And going back to the bigger question of will there spawn unity from disunity? I feel like the passage of the infrastructure bill was a good example of the ununified Democrats finding some unity. And I guess it remains to be seen if they will again find that from Build yeah, Back Better. The, Dem- the Democrats are weaker. Let's uh, just put, a, put <laughs> yeah. it out there. Um, the, yeah. the Republicans are historically known to stay on, you know, not go across that mm-hmm. line. Um, but I, I, I will say, I think the Democrats just ask for way too much, right? Oh, I'm going to throw out a crazy number. Just give me $10 trillion. And everyone's like, what? No, absolutely. And they're like, all right, I'll talk about six. Right, all right, right. that will bring you to the table six. <laughs> okay, we just, sh- you know, shaved off, you know, four trillion. And then, right. then they start talking with everyone. So yeah, I, look I, at I, us, I, compromise. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, um, well, can I, sorry, I just want to say though, like, I think no, no, that, no. I don't care if you're done or not. Um, yeah, no, I was, I was done. <laughs> I think to that and also to what you were just saying, Michael, like the Republicans probably will take back the House. We'll see what happens with the Senate. But I think that what is specific about that infrastructure thing that is a little bit irrelevant to the Republicans is like the Democrats are in power. So they know that if they concede a little bit, they will gain something for the party at large, right? The Republicans, if they concede a little, if they concede, the far Republicans, if they concede a little bit, it doesn't actually do anything at this moment in time. Uh, well, just, just to add on to that really quickly, I think the Republicans and, and kind of to what you're saying, they're, they're in the, any, they're in the, you know, well, I'm terrible with baseball, obviously, but they're in the seventh or eighth inning of, of the game, right? Yeah. And all they have to do is wait this out and they're going to win. Right. But then they and, might have the same... What, what I'm trying to say is like, the thing that Michael was just describing of the Democrats the, is irrelevant to the Republicans right now because if they gave yes. any sort of compromise, it wouldn't actually do anything. Yeah, Whereas sure. if they have power, then we might see Marjorie Taylor Greene suddenly shut up because Kevin McCarthy is going to be like, you're standing in the way of us passing X, Y, and Z. So that's, that was my only point. Um, But yeah. Well, it sounds like Anna, you want to tell Anthony to fuck off. So I'll give you the fuck you of the week. Okay. I actually like this one and it's relevant to what we're talking about. Um, So Stephanie Murphy is a representative from Florida, a moderate Democrat. She's actually the head of the blue dog caucus, which is a group of moderate Democrats who label themselves as fiscally conservative. And she is only the second, I think it was established in, I might get this wrong, but like maybe the eighties. And she is only the second woman. Is that right? Do you know the, I don't know. I have no idea. I think it was in the eighties. Anyway, she is an eighties thing. It was either the eighties or nineties. But anyway, she is only the second woman to ever lead this caucus and the first person of color to lead this caucus. Oh. Um, and Love that. she also was j- just like really quickly. She's also a refugee from Vietnam who was saved by the U S military when she was in a boat coming to America, escaping wow. communism. And um, 
she was so instrumental in speaking of infrastructure, getting this quote unquote compromise to happen. And I think that she is an example of one of these young politicians that gets overlooked for her role in something as big as this infrastructure bill. And in an interview about all of this, she said that the work that she did, quote, demonstrated that top down isn't the only way you can get things done. And I think that is a big fuck you to Nancy Pelosi, because basically, yeah, I think that Pelosi historically has tried to sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully lead the Democratic Party in a very top down approach. And what we're seeing through these splinters in both parties is that top down ain't going to work anymore. And someone like Stephanie, I think, is very nimble in how she can navigate that world. And just to put this out there, if anyone thinks Stephanie is great and wants to support her, her district might be like totally fucked by redistricting in Florida. Um, And that's something to pay attention to. And you should go to her website and donate to her so that she can try to keep her seat if you like her. Um, But, but I thought that that is like the perfect example of how these fractures in the party are playing out. I couldn't agree with you more, Anna, because I think there's something honestly beautiful about the Nancy Pelosi's Mitch McConnell's of how they control their uh, group. and. I mean, it would be chaos if there was no like, right? I, I truly believe it's the old way. And I've been hearing this a lot in other companies, not just our government. There, there needs to be, uh, it's different from the top down now. It's not, Yeah. it's not that. And I, maybe all these millennials would stop complaining at work if there could just be a new, I think that's going to ruin us. I think we're the, the far left, (laughs) far right in that, in that aspect of, of Gen Z is going to get all the benefits. Well, I mean, Anthony, but, but what you're saying though is so true, right? I mean, the idea that Stephanie Murphy is part of this younger generation is, you know, much more likely to be practicing this idea of post-partisanship, right? Which we've been yeah. talking about, which is, you know, that sort of Netflix of options where you like this, you like that, you like that, but you don't like this. Right. And it, it irrespective necessarily of party divide. And I think to your point or to, to her point, somebody like Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell has such an iron grip on their caucus that they're that living back in the of, three network right, days. That old way of doing it is like, it starts with me and I delegate to the, the rank and, and file on the Blackberry. I honestly don't even <laughs> right. know if there was like television when Nancy Pelosi was born. <laughs> well, now, 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 hold on. She is a big, I love Lucy fan. Okay. I think, that, I, I think that's one of the uh, crazy stats, right? Is most of our leaders, yeah when they were born is like when the, I don't know, something like that. Yeah. But here's a very good statistic, Anthony, that you just, let me just say this because I think, I think Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, but I would actually give Nancy Pelosi the edge on this are two of the most effective legislators we've ever seen in our lifetime. So it, so it begs the question though. All right. So cool. This Netflix thing is like all groovy and like, you know, post-partisanship woo woo. Right. But can you effectively legislate that way? So I guess that remains to be seen. Like I said, there's something beautiful, but I love your Netflix, yeah. you know, 
analogy here where I think Layla was the one that first brought that up. No. Uh, did she, no. Do you know how to work Netflix? No. Is yeah, the, that's is the, the thing. Right, right? it's very was, overwhelming. It's very yeah. overwhelming. Who wanted to do the cognitive test? <laughs> yeah. Who was that guy? <laughs> uh, yeah, he was a Republican uh, yeah. senator. But no, I mean, I, we're around the holidays. When you go home and you're watching a Netflix show, how many times have your parents passed you that Apple TV remote? Oh my God. Well, I'm about, I'm headed home to the bunker to set up a new smart TV quote oh, fun. Uh, with all the apps you can imagine. You, sending uh, yeah. Sending and, and speaking of Netflix, uh, any good Rex guys? I feel like this is a holiday thing. So we should talk about our favorite holiday movies. Yeah. Anthony, what's yours? Mine's Die Hard. Go on. <laughs> uh, I mean, Die Hard's really good, but I'm going to go the total opposite direction. The holiday like, oh my God. it's going to yeah. be on there. Ugh. Everyone's going to watch it. Come on. Ugh. Come on. The full Michael, thing. I guess what I watched on the plane today. Oh, what? Without limits. I took your recommendation. Oh, wow. Yeah. What'd it. you think? I loved it. Also, it's good, right? Um, yeah. Billy Crudup. So he's, he's a hunk. I almost like lost it in my plane seat. I was like, Jesus step Christ. aside, Joe Cunningham. We got a new, we got um, a new guy. Make sure town. to put that in our stories. My, my, <laughs> yeah. Who is feeling one bit smarter? I mean, I'll, I'll I'll go first on this. It's okay. not necessarily one bit smarter, but it's the holidays and like it's <laughs> feeling emotional. Yeah, keep it clean, okay? Yeah, keep it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Richie Torres had an interview. Um, and it was just talking about how he grew up in the Bronx and he was in the projects and this is now a district that he represents. And one thing he said, uh, which was really important about affordable housing and government housing is, you know, he grew up with his sister and, uh, his, you know, mom was a single mother working multiple jobs, but the most important thing for him to excel was having a safe and stable home to mm -hmm. be at. And when I read that, I just, it, it, it made me so fortunate that I get to be home with my family over the holidays and to think about so many people who might not have that. And uh, I just thought that was really awesome. Um, my one bit smarter is, is from Elise Stefanik, who I feel like we haven't talked about in a while. She's kind of no, been like I feel under like, the yeah, radar. She's been, right. I think ever since she got that number three position, she's just like coasting and not making too much drama on our last episode, you interviewed your friend Bobby and he was saying at yeah. the end of the interview, he was talking about this like hiring crisis that, you know, he was having a really hard time hiring people. The people were coming in for interviews just to say they've been looking for a job, but then not showing up for work. And so what I thought was so interesting about that and subsequently about this piece of legislation that Elise introduced is that I feel like this is again back to postpartisanship, an example of something that has become so inflammatory and divisive this idea of like unemployment benefits versus the hiring crisis, where it, it's no longer about what it used to be about, which was like COVID and people not being able to work. And it's become about this ideological divide. And I don't know that this is a solution for the ideological divide, but at least introduced with another Republican, um, a bill that would allow job creators to specifically determine what skills their workforce needs. And then the, then this bill would help them streamline the process for workers to access skill development in those areas. Because currently there is a career program through the government, but only about 125,000 workers exit the program every year, which like in the grand scheme of, of the American population is nothing. So I thought this was interesting 
because all about I, efficiency. I love yeah, that. But I, yeah, but I because I think that like this is something that's very specific that could maybe help with this issue that employers are having when hiring people. Yeah. And it would also give people a leg up in their career. But what I'm curious to see is if this kind of battle that is still happening where we're trying to sort of extend benefits and eviction moratoriums and things like that on the left, if that's going to push back against a piece of legislation like this, which on its own, I don't think is like particularly conservative or right wing, but in the context, it feels sort of partisan. So I thought that that was an interesting bill to follow and maybe see how that plays out in real time. Uh, well, look, playlisters, we've covered a lot today. We've covered postpartisanship, which is going to be the new Instagram. You know, the more we listen and the more we learn, the more we can actually arrive at innovative solutions, whatever those solutions may be. So as we head into the holidays, I actually want to encourage everybody to talk politics with their family. Talk, grill your family members about what they think, what their issues are, and how they want to solve them. And don't grill them in a negative way. Grill them in a fun way of like, okay, how would we solve this problem? Because I think that's how we begin to move forward as as a political nation. 